Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here today for this next installment in our series based on the book of Joshua in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, some of the stories you're familiar with in Joshua and some not so much. This one, I think, if you went to Sunday school ever when you were a kid, you heard this story about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho and how the walls came tumbling down. That may be something that you remember. Maybe you know a little bit about the story, maybe a lot. But today, I hope you can listen to it with fresh ears and hear some new things. Because the story the New Testament tells us in the book of Hebrews that Joshua and the people of Israel were people of faith. And their battle was set as an example for us. And you could ask, well, how would them attacking a big fortress when they came into the land of Israel, how would that be applicable to me in any way? Because in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that we're going to face spiritual strongholds. I mean, you're going to see Joshua and the people of Israel tackling a literal, physical stronghold, a fortress. But the Bible tells us there are strongholds in our lives, too, that are spiritual strongholds. What do I mean by that? Now, this isn't in your outline, but I just want you to think about this for a minute. A spiritual stronghold, what I'm, we're going to use this as working definition today, sinful habits are ways of thinking that are resistant to change and cause ongoing emotional behavior and relational problems. What are you talking about? Well, here's a list of a couple of things. You could make the list much longer. Addictions, marriage problems, debt, worry and fear, unforgiveness, habitual sins. Things that we know we need to deal with, but we go, uh, I don't know how. And this is causing a horrible problem. I mean, like even if you take just the marriage problems, the Bible tells us that if we let the sun go down in our anger, Gives the devil a foothold. Well, what if you let the sun go down on your anger for 23 years? Well, you don't have just a foothold. you got a fortress. You have a stronghold. What if something like you've been making bad financial decisions for 15 years, running up the credit cards? Well, now you've got a crushing amount of debt. That's a stronghold. And when the Bible tells us truths, when the Bible gives us direction, God shows us a way out. But we need to change the way we think. That's why it always begins with surrender. Coming to the Lord and saying, God, we need your direction. God, we need your help. And so as we're approaching Joshua, facing Jericho as their first battle as they go into the promised land, remember, their faith and their dependence on God, these are examples for us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And I thank you for the stories in the Old Testament, the heroes of the faith. And we consider heroes of the faith because they trusted in you and they followed your instructions and they depended on you to stand up against mighty foes that were keeping them from the promises you wanted them to enjoy. Father, I pray that today you'd cause me to evaluate my own life. Even as we hear this story, what are the strongholds I'm dealing with? What are the strongholds I'm, I've been afraid to face? I pray, Lord, today you'd give us courage, you'd give us wisdom, and you'd give us power and a desire to do what you want us to do so we can tackle things that you want us to tackle your way. Please move me out of the way, Lord. Say whatever you want said to us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So if you've been with us over this series, the Israelites came out of slavery. The Moses, who had led them for those 40 years through the wilderness, he died. Joshua is in charge. They've crossed the Jordan River. Tommy talked to you about that last week. And now they are headed into the promised land. The first thing they come to is a big fortress. I mean, the ruins of ancient Jericho, 
say it was pretty much exactly that. It was up on a hillside. There were actually two walls encircling it, each of them 20 or 30 feet high. And there were a bunch of trained soldiers inside with a perfect vantage point that they could shoot, rain down arrows and boiling oil and rocks or whatever else they wanted to throw on people who would try to attack them. And it just seemed like this was, there was no way for the Israelites to do this. This had been a bunch of people who had been in slavery. They weren't trained warriors. At best, they had spears and bows and arrows. And against a walled fortress, I mean, they were worthless. So now what? Here's, here's what's good news. Point one, before attacking Jericho, Joshua was reminded that God is in charge. God's the one who gave him the assignment. It's an interesting way that God reminded him. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man. This is from Joshua 5. He saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. So Joshua was out kind of evaluating, how are we going to attack this thing? And all of a sudden he notices this big guy standing there with a sword drawn. And he goes, uh, well, listen to the conversation. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? You on our side or on the side of those people in Jericho? Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. There's a life application right out of the gate for you and me on this. Good news, I don't need to bear the responsibilities of God-given assignments alone. Okay, at 8 o'clock I read that and nobody said anything, and I gave it up because it was 8 o'clock, okay? This is it. We're awake. We've had coffee here, okay? Let me read this again. Good news, I don't need to bear the responsibilities of God-given assignments alone. Amen. Yeah, can we go back to some of that, that list of all those possible strongholds? If I'm facing an addiction, the Lord's going to help, help me deal with it. If I'm facing marriage problems and the Lord has now brought this squarely to our attention, me and my wife, then he's going to help us deal with it. If all of a sudden the Lord has now shown you, hey, our spending has been out of control. We haven't surrendered our finances to the Lord. We need to get this under control. The Lord will help us deal with that. If that's good news to you, will you say amen? amen. This is why we study God's promises. You're going to see how important it is to do things God's way. But when God gives you an assignment, all of a sudden you are very aware that worry and fear has controlled you too much. It's like it's sitting there right in front of you. And you realize... I've been doing this since I was a kid. Or there's some long-term unforgiveness, a hard grudge. Maybe somebody really, really hurt you. And you've never dealt with it. Now's the time. Or maybe you need to grasp forgiveness of somebody else. Hmm. These are spiritual battles. And the good news is when God brings us those into view, he's going with us. Listen to this scripture. The Lord himself goes before you and be, will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Moses had told Joshua that. I want you to know the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 5, said that applied to all of us. Not just a guy in the Old Testament. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I hope that you will come away from this message entirely encouraged. If God is putting something right dead in front of you, we need to deal with this. This has been a stronghold for far too long. He's not asking you to conquer it on your own. And think how much courage it gave Joshua to know. He goes, you on our side or their side? Neither one. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. Oh, well, what do you want me to do? Well, you can start by taking off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. 
This is my battle. And Joshua said, well, then tell me how to proceed. That is such the right answer. By the way, let me give you one other word of encouragement before we go too fast here. The Lord sends angels to fight on our behalf too. Not just Joshua. Angels are real. They are. We can't see them. But the Bible tells us, no, angels fight on our behalf. The promise here in Psalm 91, that wasn't even written when Joshua was um, fighting against Jericho. This is written for all of us. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his, order his angels to protect you wherever you go. If you want another reference on that, you can also go to Psalms 34, verses 6 and 7 say this, In my desperation I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. The angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. I probably haven't had any uh, requests for a link to anything as much as this one. A couple of years ago when we talked about angels, I read an account that Billy Graham shared in his book on angels. People asked him, is that really true? I mean, Billy Graham was asked all the time. He said it was just a common question. He goes, every time you do a Q&A, they go, do you really believe in angels? Do you really believe that God sends angels to protect us? He goes, oh, yeah. And I said, well, can you share a story that you know of? And his book on angels, he shares many of them. Here's one that caught my attention. Um, he had reverenced a guy who was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands named John Patton. And uh, one night, some hostile natives surrounded Patton's mission headquarters, intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. Well, John Patton and his wife prayed all night, all during that terror-filled night, that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that unaccountably all their attackers had left. They thanked God for delivering them, and a year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Jesus Christ, and Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. And the chief replied in surprise, Well, who were all those men you had with you there? And the missionary answered, There were no men there, just my wife and I. The chief argued they'd seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station, so the natives were afraid to attack. Well, only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. And the chief agreed that there was no other explanation. Now, when you hear the story here that Joshua is facing a stronghold, the New Testament said that he and the people with him were people of faith, trusting that God was going to give them the victory and that God even sent angels to fight on their behalf. These are wonderful promises for you and me. And so if you're facing a stronghold, a difficult situation, a problem that's been gone on far too long and it's time to deal with it, trust that the Lord, if he's bringing this to your attention now and this is squarely in your sights, he's going to go with you and the battle belongs to him. That's good news. And Joshua took it that way. I mean, think of the relief. Oh, I don't have to figure this out. Okay, what's the plan? Point two, God gave Joshua a supernatural battle strategy for conquering the stronghold of Jericho. This was not a traditional battle strategy. The captain of the Lord's army didn't say, okay, you're going to head over that forest, you're going to build some big battering rams, you're going to go over here and you're going to make some catapults, you're going to go over here and chisel out some stones you can hurl over the walls. Here's the way we're going to get this done. That wasn't it. In fact, if you don't account for this as a supernatural battle strategy, this is the strangest strategy in the history of the world. 
If the Lord doesn't do this, this is just crazy. Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, now remember, he's still talking here. I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into town. So our strategy is to march around it with priests blowing horns, and on the seventh day, march around it seven times, and then we all shout and the walls fall down. Yeah. Well, why would that work? Well, that would work because the Lord's army is going to knock the walls down. I mean, what a great comfort to know that when we trust in the Lord and we follow his directions, well, then he's going to help us. That's a life application here. God has given us supernatural weapons. And if you'd write this in with a little caveat here, and strategies to demolish strongholds in our lives. This is in the New Testament. I mean, the battle of Jericho was a literal battle with a literal army, but we're going to face spiritual battles that have to be won the same way, depending on God's power and depending on God's strategies using his weapons that he tells us to use. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to rip down vain imaginations and pull down strange thinking, to destroy false arguments that hold us captive. I mean, there are so many things we think wrongly about. That's why it's so important to use God's weapons. The Bible itself claims to be a weapon, a sword of truth and a sword of righteousness empowered by the Holy Spirit to cut through falsehood. And that's why we teach from it every week here. We believe the Bible's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, so we don't have to be afraid. We have the truth. Now, if you're wondering, well, what kind of strategy would be a supernatural strategy for dealing with a problem? Okay, well, let's say you've got a friend who has mistreated you terribly, and they've just been mean. They're an enemy. They want to uh, take advantage of you, they've been unkind to you, they've treated you poorly at work, they're a bad neighbor, whatever it is. You've just been mean. How would you deal with it? There are so many times people come in with exactly this concern, and after I've listened to them and we've talked about it, they say, what should I do? And I go, well, there's a piece of advice in Romans 12, and I hand them my Bible, and if you could see it up close, you'd see this has been underlined, starred, and all these things. They go, why is it so marked up? And I go, because I've been here many times. Listen to some of this in Romans 12. If your enemies are hungry feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. I mean, that is completely contrary. I mean, what kind of strategy is that? So somebody's being a jerk to you at your office. What should you do? Well, you can find all kinds of advice online or things. Hey, I'll tell you what, if somebody gives you trouble, you give them double. You show them who's boss. Don't get pushed around. Uh-uh. You push them around. It's the only way to get ahead. You don't look out for yourself. Nobody else will. And Paul says, you know, if you want to be a living sacrifice and you want to honor God, this is going to sound like the craziest thing, but if somebody's been mean to you, then here's what you should do. 
repay evil with good. And I've had all kinds of people read this out loud. They go, well, my goodness, I can't do this. And I go, well, here's the good news. You don't have to do it on your own. Let's ask God to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's in Philippians, by the way. And we ask God to give us the strength to give us love for people we don't love. To give us kindness when we don't want to be kind. We are carrying out the very heart of Jesus. He said, you know, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. If somebody rudely asks you to carry their pack a mile, carry it too. Then you'll be loving people the way God loves you. And Paul says, it'll burn them up. It'll destroy their conscience. They go, why is this guy being kind to me? I've been a jerk to them. And you're letting the spirit work on them. It's a spiritual solution to a very real problem. And some of you are dealing with that stronghold right now. You have a neighbor, a coworker, or a family member. It's a stronghold, and you don't know how to attack it because this person just doesn't like you. Well, that would be a supernatural solution. And when we talk about the Battle of Jericho, remember, this was a supernatural strategy. It didn't have anything to do with their cleverness or the strength of their weapons. They had bows and arrows and spears that were worthless against 30-foot-high stone walls. If the Lord didn't win the battle, it wouldn't be won. If the Lord doesn't change the hearts of people, what can I do? Point three, if you open your outline. Joshua and all the people of Israel courageously followed God's instructions. I mean, as crazy as that plan sounds, you're going, we're going to march around the city blowing a horn and then shout and then the walls will come tumbling down? That's your plan? When Joshua presented it, you'll see they all went, they had learned to trust the Lord. Their parents had refused to do this. Forty years earlier, their parents had been at the same place, been terrified to go in, did not trust God's directions, and that's why they had all died in the wilderness. This generation said, we believe, we'll trust him. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. And after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they, as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout! So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. And again the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. The second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. Now, I want you to understand a couple of things here that are important. Sometimes when uh, we're reading this, we're going, what's, what's horns and sevens? I mean, seven priests, seven horns, seven times, seven days. What's with all that? Well, don't miss this. Some important biblical symbols are in this story. And 
miss it, you'll miss it completely. Seven, first of all, in the Bible means completeness or completion or fullness. On the seventh day, the Lord rested because everything was good. That's why the Bible tells us there are seven days in a week. It's complete. There's nothing else to be added. Done. Full. As it applies to this story, when you have seven priests blowing seven horns, this was a fullness of time. There had been a prophecy given to Abraham 400 years earlier. Genesis 15. Tommy talked about a little bit of this last year, that they would come back to the promised land. But there was another part to that that we hadn't gotten to yet. In Genesis, the Lord told Abraham, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And that turned out to be Egypt. I mean, Abraham didn't know that. That didn't happen in his lifetime. Your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The people in the city of Jericho, the people who lived in the promised land, God was giving them 400 more years to repent. It's like in the New Testament where Peter tells us the Lord isn't being slow about his return. A lot of people laugh when you talk about the day that Jesus is coming back. They go, Pfft. Peter even talks about it. He says, people go, ah, they'll scoff. The Lord's going to return. He returned a long time ago. Peter says, don't think the Lord's being slow. He's being patient. He wants people to come to repentance. He gives as much time as he possibly can. He told Abraham that the sin of the Amorites would be full. If you want to find out what kind of sins they committed, Leviticus 18 is a whole laundry list. That's what the whole chapter is about. I'd share it with you here, but a lot of it's just very graphic. There's kids here. wouldn't be appropriate. And he said, the time has come. So the significance of all the sevens is full. The time is full. Judgment is here upon them. It's also important to understand the trumpets. The trumpets represents God's presence. Exodus 19, 16 reminds us of this. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when Moses got the Ten Commandments, before he received the stone tablets, you know, the hard copy, well, the, the very hard copy, okay, of the commandments, they were said out loud to all the people. All the people heard them out loud. The Lord himself said them with his own voice. And he had told them as they were camped around Mount Sinai that I'm going to come on the morning of the third day. I'm going to come and I'm going to tell you the terms of the agreement between you and me. Here's what Exodus 19 says. Here's how that all came down. Exodus 19 says, On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on top of the mountain, so it looked like a volcano. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled because of the presence of the God, presence of the God, the creator God of the universe, was on top of that mountain. God's presence was there. So when it says that they were marching around the city blowing on ram's horns, borrowed this, this is a probably what, it look, what they looked like. They were called shofars. They were made from a ram's horn, hollowed out, and you would blow on these. I'm not going to try. Okay? But apparently, if you're trained in this, it would make an incredibly unique sound. These were also the horns that are used before each of the sacred festivals, like the Day of Atonement. Now, things, at the beginning of the service, they blow these things to say the Lord's presence is here. So if you're wondering... Seven priests, seven days, 
blowing these horns constantly, the creator God of the universe, the time of judgment is full, and God himself will carry this out. One more symbol you don't need to miss here. That's this, that's the ark. The ark was the chest that they kept the Ten Commandment tablets in that Moses received from God, and they carried it with them. Now, the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, would have you believe that every time they went into battle, they carried it with them. They did not, just this time. And the Lord ordered them to. And inside that box was the agreement, were the terms of the agreement, and it was God's covenant with his people. Exodus 25, God told Moses to do this, to place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I give you. So in the margin, next to this big paragraph up here, if you'd write this, in order for them to have victory, they needed the presence of God, they needed the promises of God, that was the covenant in the ark, carried by the people of God. If the people of God would have the present, would focus on his promises and his presence, then they would have the power of God to tackle the stronghold. I mean, think of how far we go away from that. We don't spend hardly any time in God's presence. We don't know his promises. And we don't even hang around his people. And then we wonder, how come we have no power? If I was a better preacher, I'd have just put all those P's down and we'd have gone home. <laughs> preacher would even be another, no, never mind, I'm going on, okay. <laughs> life application here. One other life application I want to make here is this. Some strongholds require time and repeated prayers and efforts to overcome. I want you to know they had to march around the city 13 times. Not once. There are some strongholds in our life you're going to have to deal with, in your life and in my life, that we're going to have to deal with more than once. People come to me, they've been struggling with an issue in their marriage for 15 years. Can you help us resolve this in an hour? I am, probably not. We can get started. We can start. I talked to a guy who was here this first service. He's been sober for 10 years. Goes to AA three, four times a week. Said, you remind people of that. Said, so many people give up. They go to one meeting and they've been battling an addiction. One meeting, and I'm still got this craving. So he goes, tell them, don't give up. The Lord will help them. You tell them. I said, oh, I'm going to tell them. What did Jesus say? Keep on asking and you receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. There are some problems we're going to have to pray more than once. We're going to have to go around it more than once and be obedient to what God called us to do. We may have to be kind to that jerk in our office more than once before the coals of fire. I was nice yesterday, Lord, and the coals haven't lit yet. What's going on? That may take more than one kind deed. They kept blowing the horns. Nobody said a word. They just waited on God's power and the right timing. You think how much that applies to your life and mine. Just be faithful. Do what you know to do. Listen to God's word. Be obedient. He'll win the battle. Keep going. God's presence, God's promises, carried by God's people, mean great power. 
when the people shouted, all the walls around Jericho fell except where Rahab lived. Now, if you, weren't, if you don't know who Rahab was, I'd invite you to go online. We had a, a message a couple of weeks ago. We unpacked all the story of Rahab. So please do that. But she was a person who realized what was going on. There were two spies who had been sent to spy out Jericho. She realized who they were. And she said, hey, I, I got I to gotta get out of here. God's judgment is coming. And she said, I'll help you guys, but you got to help me and my family. And she made a deal with them that anybody who was in her house when the attack came, they told her an attack is coming. When the attack, anybody in your house will be spared. So listen to what happened here. Seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Now when people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as long as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. It's important to note that Rahab saved as many relatives as she could from God's judgment. All the walls fell down. The archaeological dig that has been done on that for years, for, for almost a century, there were three different digs in the 1900s that went on around Jericho. It's determined that both the walls fell out and down so that when they collapsed, it created almost a ramp for people to run up. They climbed over the rubble and went right into the town. And there's all kinds of fascinating archaeology on this. What's also fascinating is, to me, is that Rahab saved so many people. We don't know how big her house was. The spies have been lowered out of a window, they say, because her house was on the wall. So I don't know if it was a one-room apartment, two rooms, I don't know. But Rahab had it packed with as many people as she could get in there. Listen to this. The men who'd been spies went in, and they brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. And they moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. She had made a deal. She said, look, I'm going to help you guys out, but when judgment comes, your God is the almighty God, and, and we're all terrified of you here in Jericho, but you've got to save me and my family. Save us. Show us how to be saved. And they said, okay, you've got to stay in this room. So she packed it, and she told everybody she knew, as these people were marching around the city, you come in. Judgment's coming. It's not long now. Life application, we need to save as many of our friends and family as we can from God's judgment. The Bible warns us there will be a judgment day that's coming in the fullness of time. And by the way, there's a place in the New Testament where seven trumpets are blown. At the end of history, there are seven trumpet judgments. At the end of the world. It's the same picture. The fullness of time. It's why great evangelists like John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church, Every time he got around the pastors that he trained, he said, make sure you warn people of the wrath that is certain to come. Tell them the good news of Jesus, that God loved the world so much he sent his only son to die on the cross for their sins. Tell them. Tell them they'll find forgiveness in Christ and in no one else. Warn them. Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I love it. There are some of you who have done this with your families, baptized, I've helped baptize people, I've helped baptize their brothers, their sisters, their moms, their dads. They take up a whole row here at worship. That's the Jones row. 
One person started coming. They brought the whole family to Christ. How amazing is that? Rahab is considered a hero of the faith. For that reason, she believed. And she was able to rescue her whole family. A couple points real quickly. Joshua did his best to ensure the stronghold of Jericho would never be rebuilt. After it fell, here's what happened. Joshua 6.26, at that time Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. The cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. The cost of his youngest son, he'll set up its gates. If you want to know if that ever came to pass, yes, about 500 years later, during the time of King Ahab in 1 Kings 16.34, there was a man named Hiel who came in and he rebuilt the city. He laid the foundation. His oldest son died when he hung the gates. Uh, After the walls had been completed, his youngest son died. He didn't believe it. He did then. A life application for you and me is not to get fixated on what Joshua said, but to remind ourselves that when we do gain victory over a stronghold, we must be careful never to rebuild it. Don't go back there. To guard and protect what God has given you. Don't ever think, oh, I've overcome that. Now I won't ever struggle with anything again. Mm-mm-mm. The Lord has been gracious and kind. We don't ever want to start playing with sin. Romans 6. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Be done with it. Put it away. And finally, point six, Joshua became a respected leader because he trusted God and obediently stepped out in faith. When there was a stronghold in front of him, he didn't depend. I mean, nobody's going to read this story and go, Joshua was a military genius. Nobody thinks that. Joshua became respected because he trusted God and God did mighty things through him. And he gave God all the glory. So the Lord was with Joshua. His reputation spread throughout the land. There's a guy that God works through. There's a guy who trusts the Lord. There's a guy who's obedient. When he knows the right thing to do, he does it, and he lets the Lord take care of the consequences, the outcomes. He's just faithful as God told him to do. He trusts God for the outcome. Man, that would be wonderful if that was describing me. If that was describing you. There's a woman who trusts the Lord. When the word says do this to forgive, she forgives. When the Lord says step out in faith, she steps out in faith. There's a guy who's being a godly dad because the Bible commands us to be godly dads. And he's going to surrender whatever else he needs to get rid of in order to do that. Mm. I hope this burns in your heart. That's what that story's supposed to do. Inspire us to trust in him the same way Joshua did. So one last, last life application, Romans eight thirty seven. Paul's talking about this. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Not the demons of hell, not the fears of tomorrow or the worries about yesterday. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And in Romans eight thirty seven, he says this. This is describing you and me, not Joshua. It's describing people who surrender their lives to the Lord. It says this. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are. Well, more than conquerors. Have you ever thought of yourself as a conqueror? Many times I believe, well, Billy Graham was able to share his faith. Yeah, good for Billy, but not me. You meet somebody who prays and they see an amazing answer to prayer. Oh, yeah, well, God answers prayers to them, but he doesn't answer prayers to me. 
We are more than conquerors. I want you to stand now. We're going to read this together. We're going to read that line together. And I want us to read it with confidence. So we're going to read it a couple times. Not seven or 13, but just a couple. But I want you to reflect on this. I want us to read it, read it, but this time I want you to stand because I want us to put full strength in this. Read this confidently. Read it with me, please. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What if that were true? I mean, do I believe that? That there's a stronghold in front of me and God's going to give me wisdom. He's going to bring people alongside me. He's going to give me guidance through his word. He's going to give me power through the Holy Spirit to deal with this. Do I really believe this? This is a battle, pulling down strongholds, wrong thinking in our lives. Oh, I can't do it. I have to give in. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Mm -mm. Let's read it again. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not because we're so strong, because Christ is strong. Not because we know what to do on our own, but God's word will show us. One more time. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Will you pray with me? Oh God, I pray that we will believe this. I pray that we will trust in you. I pray that we will not worry or be afraid. I pray that we will not shrink back when strongholds are dead in front of us, but that we will trust you to show us what to do. And you will give us the power and the wisdom to do what's right. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Worship team is going to